We are in Psalm 119. We've been taking this eight verses or one strophe at a time. And this text, beautiful passage of Scripture, it's all about God's Word. It's all about the Bible, looking at it in different aspects, its usefulness, its centrality to our life, its preciousness to us. David was a man after God's own heart, I believe, because of his love and his passion for the Word of God, in part. So I want to read the eight verses beginning at verse 41 tonight, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 41. You can follow along in your Bibles as I read these verses out loud. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Maybe you can hear the resolve in the psalmist's voice in what he is saying here. And I want to talk tonight about Bible boldness. It's not a boldness based on his personality. It really comes back to his loyalty, his connection with God himself. How can we forget the account in Scripture of David as the Philistines were scoffing the Israelite armies? There was Goliath, their champion, coming out, asking in a taunting way for someone to come out and fight with him. And none of the Israeli soldiers were willing to go out and face him. But then David shows up. He's only there because he's bringing food and supplies and rations to his brothers and to the other soldiers as he was dispatched by his own father to do so. And as he's standing there, he witnesses the scoffing of Goliath of Gath. And he is dumbfounded that this is allowed to go on. And as he questions why no one is going up against this man for his blasphemies against Jehovah God, they begin to chide him as being naughty and coming out just to, out of curiosity to see what's going on. And David's response is, is there not a cause? His love, his loyalty for Yahweh, for God Almighty, caused him to be moved beyond his, his own abilities, his own strengths, because he was passionate for the God of the Bible. There has been through history different individuals that inspire a certain amount of courage in others. Back in the time of World War II, days immediately after Dunkirk were very dark for the modern world. In the supreme disaster, all seemed 
irrevocably lost and the invasion of England loomed very imminent for them. England lay prostrate. Forty-seven warships had been sunk in the operations off of Norway after Dunkirk. When the evacuation was completed, half the British destroyers were in the shipyards for repairs while the Royal Air Force had lost 40% of its bomber strength. Britain was on the brink of famine. Her armies were without arms or equipment or supplies. They had left in France 50,000 vehicles. And then Prime Minister Winston Churchill spoke for the defenseless islanders. Quote, We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the fields. We shall fight in the streets. We shall fight in the hill. We shall never surrender. And if this island were subjugated and starving, our empire on the seas would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and liberation of the old. Of course, Winston Churchill had a very unique way of inspiring people with his speeches. But it came from a heart and a mind that really believed in what he was saying. As I listened to that famous speech that he delivered to his nation, I think, wow, if, if only we as believers could shed our timidity when it comes to how we are assaulted and intimidated by the, the wicked one, by the world, by our flesh. If we could have that confident zeal even in our dark hours, and the response is, of course we can. We're supposed to have that kind of confidence. We're supposed to have a, a level of boldness. Is not Jesus able to conquer all of our enemies for us? I'm reminded of Peter in Acts chapter 4. They've been intimidated in many ways by uh, those religious leaders to silence their preaching. And Peter's response was, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I like what he says in Acts 4.29 as a prayer to God. Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. That's a good prayer for all of us to pray, isn't it? Or grant unto us that boldness. There are times that it's, it's hard for us to speak up for Jesus Christ, to represent him. We, we stammer, we stall, we wait, we procrastinate. We're not sure what the outcome is going to be if we speak up. But yet we have a God that really deserves our ambassadorship. And so we need to, like David, say, is there not a cause in any situation we find ourselves? And so in this text that we're looking at tonight, the psalmist, I believe, recognizes three needs to bring biblical boldness into our lives. How do I get this biblical boldness? What do I need? Well, let's look at these briefly tonight. The first thing he mentions in verses 41 and 42 was, well, it starts with being personally rescued. Very fitting that 
after our message this morning about uh, being delivered, being rescued, uh, as we looked at the demoniac of Gadara there, that this should fall in the evening of the same Lord's Day, because you, you can't really expect to be bold for God if you're not really having been first rescued by Him from your sin, the shackles broken free, and that you family. doesn't mean that you automatically have that boldness, but it must, must begin there. Have you ever had someone make a disparaging comment about the Lord that demonstrated a, a lack of their own belief? I have. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. Maybe it revealed some deep-seated bitterness or resentment. As I converse with people and say, you know, Tell me, do you have a relationship with God? I'll just put it very generic like that, just to see what they will, will say. It often comes after they, they find out, oh, you're a preacher, right? You know, or something like that. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a preacher, but, but first and foremost, I'm a child of God. You know, even if I, if I wasn't a preacher, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm part of his family. I'm one of his children. And it really opens the door and Sometimes people will, will become very transparent with you. I think these are opportunities to, to steward well what they have to say. But I've been moved how many times people have had resentment toward God. And it really all, always boils down to they had some sort of expectation in their life and God didn't meet that expectation. And so I would sometimes ask them, did God promise you that? Did you, did you read in His Word that He would handle your situation the way that, that you thought He would? Did He break a promise to you? And it's like, well, you know, I, I don't really know. I don't read my Bible too much, is often the way they'll respond. But I would think God would do that. I'm like, well, has anyone ever had an expectation of you that was unreasonable or that they thought that something would be true from you? And then they were upset, and you're like, hey, I never said that. I never promised that. Why, why would we expect that from God? Why would we treat God that way if we don't appreciate being treated that way? They may have had these unmet expectations, and as you stand there listening to them like I have been, you're kind of blinking in disbelief at their audacity. Do they know who they're talking about? The creator of the universe, the sovereign God? Be careful, right? Lightning doesn't strike them immediately. You know, you might be stepping back, but we know God, God doesn't work that way in every situation. And how do, we, how do we help? How do we respond to that? Sometimes we're at a loss of words on the spot of what to say. I'm there often. I might whisper a little prayer to the Lord. Lord, help, you know. Help them to see their need. But Lord, help me. I, I, I need a certain amount of rescuing in this situation from my own dullness or my own inability to perceive wisdom on how to transpire this conversation. I remember many, many years ago, I was visiting one of our own members in the hospital, and it was in a semi-private room. And I don't even remember who it was I was visiting now from our own congregation. But I remember after I had finished the visit, 
and I kind of walked around the curtain that separated because the other person that was there was on the other side. And you could tell they had family sitting around in there, and they were, they were trying to be somewhat quiet, and I was trying to be quiet on our side. But as it is, you can hear other people's conversations a little bit. And so when I came around, one of the family members, I think it was a lady, said, you know, oh, are you a chaplain? I said, well, I'm a pastor. This is one of my members, came to visit them. Oh, how nice. I said, are, are you folks believers? And the patient was an elderly man that was in the bed there. I don't remember why he was there. And he kind of just kind of scoffed, you know, in his uh, breathing out through his nose kind of thing. This is a <laughs> you know, kind of response. And I said, sir, I said, uh, do you know God or would you like to know God? And I wrote down his response to me so I wouldn't forget it. He said, where was God when I was being dive-bombed by a Japanese Zero in World War II? I saved myself. And I was so dumbfounded at that point. I was not expecting that response that I didn't have a, and that was one of those situations where you walk out of the room and, and 10 minutes later you're thinking of everything you should have said, right? And I just prayed, you know, I'm like, Lord, you know, work, work in maybe something that he overheard or the family overheard in that way. Help my insufficiencies, my lack there to be right sharp on that issue. It's said of Goliath, going back to Goliath as the giant, five different times there in 1 Samuel 17 that he defied the people of God. That's the word defied. There's, that's the same word that's translated in other places of our Old Testament as reproach. He had no respect for God. He was mocking. David confronts Goliath in verse 45. Even though Goliath says things like, you know, come to me, I'll, I will give your flesh to the bones, uh, your, your flesh to the birds of the air, the fowls of the air. I'd be like, hmm, he looks like he could do that. Maybe I should rethink this a little bit. But his confidence was not in his own military strength or training. He was a shepherd. And you say, well, you know, he'd gone up against a lion, he'd gone up against a bear, but even there... He recognized that that was not his skill level, that was the Lord. The Lord enabled him to do that. And you really can only explain God's divine empowerment there as David lets loose that sling and that, that small rock finds its way to the forehead of the giant in such a way that drops him down and allows David to go and cut off the giant's head with his own sword. What a great story. We love that story. We tell it over and over again to children, to our grandchildren. Remind ourselves of that. And yet, how we need to have that boldness. Look again at what verses 41 and 42 are saying. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. When, when my neighbor is scoffing, when my co-worker asks questions in that tone of voice, when that family member has that, that way of, of smirking at me, 
as I am relating my things that I have taken out of the Word of God. Lord, help me to have that kind of trust in You because I trust in Your Word. By the way, our trust in God will be depleted if our time in the Word of God is depleted. We can't expect to be strong in the Lord if we're weak in the Word. You will have people who are resisting God that will lash out at you. It's going to happen. And remember you that, as Jesus said, that the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And that's not even just about a sequence. It means that the primary animosity is God and His Son. And so if you align yourself with God and His Son, then expect to have that animosity directed at you as well. You're in good company, right? You're in good company. Notice also that their aggression is felt by you, but it's really rooted in a rebellious spirit towards the Lord. Sometimes when I hear people relate they're angry, it's easy for me to kind of take it personal because they'll even make personal comments. How could you stand and preach out of a flawed book filled with contradictions? And aren't there just... Are you one of those preachers like all these other preachers? This is just out for the money, you know? Your church take offerings, you know? Is it just about, you know, uh, getting a name for yourself? And I have to say, you know, they're, they're lashing out at me. They're, they're questioning these things. It's getting kind of personal. But why are they doing that? They don't even know me. They've just met me. It is what I represent. It's who I represent. We need to consider ourselves like Peter and John and Acts, consider ourselves glad and happy to suffer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we need to do is ask God to help us to respond in a way that will defend His righteousness. I'm not here to defend myself, but I am here to promote God. I am here to point out their wrongness and their opinions of God Almighty. They walk away and they have a low opinion of me. So what? I'm not here to build some sort of esteem for myself. At least I should not be. Second need is a need for reasoning. Not only being rescued for God to come to our aid through His Word, but a need for being able to uh, speak the truth in truthful ways. That's what reasoning is all about. Now, you can talk to people who use reasoning, but their, their precepts are flawed to begin with. And they can say, well, if A is true and B is true, then C is true. Yeah, but your A is not right or your B is not right is the problem. But they assert those things. So what do we need? The request here is to keep the Word of God in our mouths. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Help me to be able to articulate the truth. Now, that will come as we continue to immerse ourselves in the word of God, hide it in our heart so that it's in the forefront of our minds as well. We, we want the word of God to be like a well inside of us, right? 
And listen, even if you can't remember the reference, even if you can't remember the exact wording, you know, use what the Holy Spirit draws up out of you in that way. But if our, our reasoning is based on the Word of God, then God can bless it. Now, they may walk away saying, well, I'm not convinced. But it still gives the ability for the Word of God not to return void. We need to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15. Good reminder to us. We're not supposed to come back at them with aggressiveness. We're supposed to have a meekness about us. Meek in myself. Because you know it's not about me. I, I have been where that person once was. I have not always been saved. None of us have. And, and some of us have been in a place where we have been approached by believers and witnessed to us before we got saved. And we pushed them away. We laughed at them. I've heard some of your testimonies in that way. And so we understand that. But we need to pray that God would put these words in our mouth. When Paul was in Thessalonica in Acts 17, verse 2, it says that Paul reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, the, the people of Thessalonica, opening, which literally means explaining, is the word behind opening. It doesn't just mean that he cracked open his Bible there. It means he was able to open up the, the, the thoughts, the meaning of what is being said there. We sometimes talk about this as expositing the truth of God's Word, exposing it, and alleging. That's giving evidences. This is sometimes the, the application. In other words, okay, God's Word says this, and if it says that it means this, what does that then mean for us in a personal day-to-day -day living experience. It's what I try to do every time I open up the Word of God and preach from this pulpit. It's not just to say, here's what the Word of God says. Isn't that really neat? But say, okay, here's what the Word of God says. Now, how does that drill down in our lives? That's the idea of alleging. And as a result of that, some of them believed. Some of them believed. So, why is there a plea for reasoning in this passage of Scripture here? He says, you know, I have hoped in thy judgments, the last part of verse 43, so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Let's just give some, some things that he lists here. For instance, when he says, I have hoped in thy judgments. What he's really saying here is, I have too much invested in this, Right? I have hoped past tense with continuing action still going. In other words, it isn't something I just did, put a period at the end of it and don't do it anymore, check the box. No, I have done this in the past and am continuing to do this presently. And anything like that that we have invested in, especially in the Word of God, we don't want to walk away from that. I've come too far to turn back, we need to say, in our minds. I mean, I've, I've, I've walked with Jesus. I have enjoyed His grace. He has taught me. He's shown me so much. I can't stop being 
one of his ambassadors. I can't stop being one of his zealous children in this. I'm not about to throw this all away. This is how David is thinking as he is asking for reasoning abilities from the Scripture. He also says, I have great expectations. He says, I shall keep thy law continually. Now, does he believe that he's never going to violate Scripture ever in his life? That's not what he's saying here. He's like, but my ongoing practice in life is I want to be obedient to your word. I, I want to meet your expectations. That, I want that to be my pattern in life as I move forward. And so it's right to have some spiritual goals. Say, well, I'm afraid to set some spiritual goals because I not, might not meet them. Well, as one person said, if, if you don't aim at anything, you're bound to hit that, right? And so it's, it's not about, you know, making ourselves proud. Well, look what I did. Look at these spiritual goals that I've obtained. I look forward to a conduct with continuity is what he's saying here. That I have a consistent Christian life. Everybody ought to want that. I don't want to be an on-again, off-again Christian is what he's saying there. And you know what? That's what God wants for you and for I as well. And if we're going to be able to impact others and have Bible boldness, that has to be part of it. You say, what happens if I blow it? Confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Are you going to question God's sovereign ability to forgive you and to restore you? And by the way, your sins were already under the blood at the cross before you ever even prayed to receive Christ as your Savior. And those included the sins that would be committed by you decades later in your life as a mature Christian even. It's all under the blood. Some time ago, the dean of an American college discovered that a woman for the last four years had elected the same course in algebra even though she had passed it the first time. I would never do that, okay? The de dean inquired of her for an explanation. The woman said she was so tired of arguing with her neighbors about everything in the world that she wanted to study something that she couldn't argue about. <laughs> I mean, there, there's something, and of course, God is a God of math, right? I mean, where does math come from? Where does patterns uh, in our world exist? It, it comes from God, you know? Uh, you talk about prime numbers, and you talk about how pi is used in figuring the area of a circle and all these wonderful things. You know, like man discovered it. It's like, wow, look what I discovered. God's like, I put that there, right? And so it ought to, and then when you see math intertwining with music, when you start to learn music theory and, and, and the musicians learn, it's like, wow, there's, there's math, there's a sequence, there's predictability as you move up and down these scales and as you change keys. And this is amazing. It's God. God did all of that. But you know, in the same way, if you know the Word of God to explain to someone else, you have to be first convinced of its truth. You personally have to be sold on it, in other words, in your heart. You can't be superficial. 
you have to be like, I have gone to the Word of God and, and I have met with the Lord on this and He has, he has drilled this into my heart. This, this has been glued to my soul. If I was asked to renounce this, I would be like, I can't. I can't unsee what I have seen. I can't be unconvinced by what I've been convinced. That's, that's what we need. We need to have that kind of fervency that moves us to zealousness because we are so convinced of the truth. It will then help us in our ability to reason. But then thirdly, we need resolve. Verses 45 to the end, there is a repetition of the phrase, I will. And that shows resolve, doesn't it? If someone says, I will, then you're just waiting to hear what they're going to say next, but you can automatically say, okay, they're resolved about something. You know, I'm about to hear their resolve. And so I, I stand, I, you know, I, I sit up and take notice when I'm studying and I see that, okay, he's, he's obviously listing off some things of resolve. What is he being resolved about? And we need to understand that it shows the response of being rescued by God's mercy and endowed with God's wise reason. Those two things we've already established, right? I've been rescued by God and His mercy, okay? I've been delivered. And now He has given me His wise reasoning from the Scriptures. And so it gives me resolve to move forward in what areas? How about confidence? The first, I will, he says, I will walk at liberty. Literally, the Hebrew word here means to take broad steps. There's a confidence. When I take Josiah to the park and he's, he is navigating a new segment of the playground, he rightly is more cautious. But it's interesting, there's larger kids there. And they're running around. So, you know, there's this one that he just recently learned to navigate a couple weeks ago. And it has these pieces that you hold on the side. And it has these little U-shaped steps that are very skinny. And he's watched the older kids zip up those things. And these are kids that are 9, 10, 12 years old. And he would start and he would climb up part way, And then he would get to a point and start to panic. And then he'd say, Papa need help, Papa need help. I mean, Papa needs to help him is what he's saying. Not that I, need, I do need help, but not what he's saying. But then I remember the first time we walked over there, and he, he went over like he always did, but then he just kept going. But I watched him. He was still not zipping up those steps like the 9- and 10-year-old boys. He was watching his feet, and I was glad that he was, right? There was that, that slowness, that methodicalness. But here is David talking about not a lackadaisicalness or a carelessness, but a confidence in his Christian walk. He's not just taking little bitsy steps. He's able to take strides. And why is he able to do this? Because of experience. Because of days, of weeks, of years of seeing God's faithfulness interacting in his life. And while at first he's like a little nervous and he's backpedaling sometimes maybe and questioning and failing and he'd come back and Lord forgive me. Now he realizes, wait, you know, I I can take 
more reasonable strides. I'm not, I'm not praying every step of the way about everything like, Lord, oh, help me not to blow this. Lord, help me not to blow that. And that doesn't mean that we don't need God, but we're, we've become very settled in God's attending grace and help in our lives. We, we're aware of His sovereignty in our lives. And it's a blessing to have that place of confidence in our lives. We need to refuse to live doubting our salvation. Well, I don't know if I'm really saved or not. Okay. Well, did you obey Scripture? Did you do what God said? Well, yes, I did, but I don't feel... Well, don't tell me about your feelings. Don't tell me about your recent track record. Did, what are you putting your faith currently in? Are you putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and not counting in your own righteousness? Well, yes, of course I'm doing that. Then to doubt is really insulting God, to questioning His veracity, His truthfulness. Because has He not said that if you will do this, call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved? Then don't insult God. Move on with confidence. God, you said, so here goes. And so it is with other. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how He's going to do it. But if God's leading in this way, not going to be you know, fretting every, every morning when I wake up. Or if it's on my thought, I'm going to try to quickly dispel it. Why? Because I have a track record of seeing God's faithfulness in my life. Confidence. Believe the simple truths of God's Word. How about courage? I need to have a, a resolve about courage. He talks about speaking of thy testimonies and not being ashamed. I always think of Paul standing before Agrippa in Acts 26, there at the opening two verses. He's standing there. I, was, I think my knees would be knocking together while I'm, I'm talking to King Agrippa. He holds a lot of power. He holds a lot of influence here. But Paul looks at it as, wow, what a great opportunity I mean, I get, to, I get to witness to the king. This will be maybe a one-shot deal. And so he says in verse 2, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. He's, he's kind of speaking out loud. Hey, I'm glad I have this opportunity. Glad you invited me here, king. A king can be a figure of intimidation. You say, well, you know, I'm sure I'd be intimidated in front of a king, but who else might you be intimidated by? What, what if that neighbor that you've had casual conversations with does ask you about the reason you go to church? And you're like, oh, I'm afraid I might say, what if I say something that offends them? Will I blow the, the nice camaraderie about us being able to talk about golf or the weather or politics or whatever else it is? We can become intimidated. We need to not allow ourselves to do that for the welfare of others. What if Paul had said, you know, I'm not sure this is decorum to witness in a situation like this. Romans 1.16 tells us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, what else do we love to talk about, right? Oh, let me, let me, let me show you what, what I've done with my you know, my craft room here, you know, and we, we don't always say, I don't know if I should say this. What if they're not in the crafts? I might offend them, right? Or, or talk about, you know, something that 
we've recently read. Well, maybe they're not into that, but, but we just launch into it many times, right? But we, we have this pause. Well, I don't know if I should talk about Jesus. They might be offended. We need courage and not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Contentment. We often think of delight as an emotion which we have no control over rather than a mindset which we purpose to have. But really, contentment is something that you have to engage in your will. He says here, delight myself in thy commandments. I will do that. Well, how, you know, how, how can you just decide, I'm going to delight in thy commandments? What if one day you get up and you're like, I'm not so excited about your commandments, God. He's like, no, I am, I am choosing. I'm, I'm taking that direction. I'm not letting loose of this direction. Whatever it takes, I have to then look at why my thinking is against delighting in commandments. What's pushing back? I am satisfied, or I should say, am I satisfied with living in accordance to God's Word? Or do I have a, I wish I could do what they are doing attitude? You know, a lot of times there's Christians like that, especially, you know, adolescents that are saved. They'll be like, I remember, you know, our kids being younger and stuff sometimes, you know, wanting to do certain things. They're like, well, you know what? We, we're choosing not to do that because we think that that would be problematic for us as believers to engage in certain things. It might mean that you don't let your young people go to a sleepover at a particular house for some reason. It doesn't mean you're, not, you're paranoid about it, but you're cautious. Do you then say, well, I can't have any delight? And you say, you know what, I need to come back and say, God's Word is good. It has my best interest in heart. And therefore, I am choosing to see it that way. When pressed to eat on one occasion in John 4.24, remember there the, the story of the woman of Cana, the woman at the well. Disciples come back and it's like, Lord, you know, here's food, eat. That's what you sent us away for, right? And I love what Jesus responds. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That, that's my nourishment. Now, did Jesus of Nazareth eat food and need to eat bread and fish and things? Absolutely. He would have physically died had he not taken in nourishment and water and things like that because he's fully human. So we know that he did take that nourishment. But he was not consumed in his mind. He's like, when's the next meal? Where are we going to eat? You know, he's like this. You know what? If I need to fast a little bit, if I need to forego a meal, because I have an opportunity to minister to this lady, this is so much more the priority. Contentment. How about claiming? There's a resolve for claiming. What do we mean by claiming? Notice verse 48. He says, lift up my hands unto thy commandments. I will do this, he says. I will lift up my hands. There's no reticence. There's no resentment. He says, I have loved them. He says that for the second time in this eight-verse section. But he's reaching out to receive them. God, you have expectations. Did it mean that they didn't go against his own flesh in any way? It doesn't mean that. I'm sure it did. But in his wisdom, he could realize a God who loves me has set some boundaries, and in my wisdom that God has given to me, 
I need to realize this is for my good. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. What is that picturing? It means that they're anticipating the answer in faith. As you pray, do you have a sense of anticipation? As God, I, I know you're going to answer this. I don't know exactly how or when. But I know as your child, you're going to answer this. I believe that. The Apostle Peter essentially raised his hand and volunteered on the ship when he saw Jesus out on the water. He says, Lord, bid me, literally command me to come to thee. I want you to command me. A lot of times, you know, we go through a day and we're like, Lord, please don't tell me to do anything that I don't want to do. Right? I mean, I will. But what does that show? That shows a very muted and polluted view of our God. Do we believe God wants what's best in our lives? Do we believe He knows better what is good for us than we know ourselves? Yeah, well, then we ought to be saying, God, just, just take charge. Just tell me what to do. Just, you know, command me. Bid me to come to you today. And help me to be meek and humble enough to respond, remembering what I asked you to do at the beginning of the day. So there's a claiming here. And then fifthly, the last I will here in verse 48. He says, I will meditate in my statutes. What is that? Meditation is contemplation. It's thinking it through. It means you didn't just buzz through the Word of God and say, oh, I read that. It's taking time to chew on it. In fact, many times uh, people have compared the practice of meditation on the Word of God and on His precepts to what a cow does. You know, a cow has multiple stomachs and it chews, you know, that grass or whatever it finds in the meadow and it comes down to stomach number one and then it regurgitates it, chews on it some more and it goes back down and does that over and over again. And each time it's, it's pulling out more nutrients. So we would do well to take time to, to really suck the value out of what we're seeing in the Word of God. Sometimes it's not about saying, well, you know, I need to get my chapter in. If you only read one verse and you derive from it truth that packs your life for that day and you can go in the meat of that Word, that's more valuable to you as you chew on that and meditate on that and contemplate on that than if you'd got the whole chapter. Charles Hodge in his book wrote this on, um, on this kind of theme. Why do we only read the Bible and not meditate on it? Because it is not loved. Wow, he's really calling people out on that one, isn't he? We do not go to it as the hungry man to his food. Our loss cannot be measured. Our surface knowledge does not influence us in a practical way. It is only as we search that we will know it is for our good. And I say amen to that. Sometimes, you know, when I know that there's a, a big meal you know, coming up, you know, I'll want to do a little bit of extra exercise so that I'll have a good what for it? Appetite. There you go. 
And so we need to have an appetite when we come to the Word of God. Say, so how, how do you increase your appetite? Prayer is a great thing to do. Pray earnestly about your, your lack, your omissions, your inconsistencies, your deficiencies. And as you become read, so, so clearly aware of those things, then as you go into the Word of God and say, Lord, show me wondrous things out of thy law. Show me these things. And then stop and say, Holy Spirit, help me to stop and meditate and think and understand and apply myself. You know, you're preaching yourself your own little sermon right there. That's a good thing to do, by the way. A postman once related the deep sense of security that he felt in his work of delivering the mail. He said, why, all the resources of the government are pledged to support me in carrying on my work. If I have only one small postcard in my bag, no man dares to assault me in its delivery. All the federal police powers of the United States would be thrown into action if necessary to secure the safe delivery of that one solitary postcard. And there are some pretty strong laws and there is some pretty strong penalties for impeding mail delivery. But what I thought was interesting is his perspective of that. And I thought to myself, wow, what more power we have from heaven above and from an almighty God at our disposal as we carry his truth into this world every day. That, that, that postman has some boldness. Shame on us if we can't exceed our boldness based on what we see the, the Word of God empowers us to do. May we go forward with confidence, as Romans 8.31 says, that if God be for us, who can be against us? Father in heaven, we thank you for what we are really challenged with in this passage of Scripture. Lord, help us to be encouraged. Help us to be rebuked where we need to be rebuked. Perhaps we have not come to your word with the appetite, the seriousness, the spirit to dig, the spirit to personalize, to, to not just mine out truths and applications, but to see you, to get a clear image of a God so we love you in a more refined way, a more intimate way, so that as we then venture into daily life experience, that captures our minds, our hearts, our emotions. That we can't shake that. And Lord, it comes with an onus on us to have a certain amount of resolve. Lord, may we follow the patterns that are given to us here in the Word of God. To have that same resolve that David had. And may we be people after your own heart as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.